If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to two different places in the New Testament today. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew 13, uh, and then we're going to finish in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Matthew uh, 13, Philippians 3, and then I think we have about 400 other verses we're going to address, but we'll put those on the screen for you. Uh, last week, I, uh, I opened a series of discussions involving just the, the dangers that surround trying to casually follow Jesus with your life. Uh, just trying to have Him as part of, but not fully, uh, your life. And, and much of this comes from reading the Word, and then hearing some of the ways that Jesus describes the cost in, in following Him, and being one of His disciples, because there are times He comes in, uh, and if you casually read the Word, you're like, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I have been told about or sold, because He comes in at times, and He's very, very direct about the cost of what following Him looks like. And, and what we discover is that um, we have not been saved in Jesus to blend into our community, but rather uh, we are set apart to live lives that serve as beacons of, of hope uh, so that those who are far from God, those who are struggling in sin, those who need healing can find their life in Christ Jesus alone. As we sang, there is no other name uh, than the name that is Jesus. And so, so the question I've been trying to evaluate in my life, I, I felt after we got done last week that I spent a long time um, giving you, as if you were my therapist and I was laying on a couch, um, just trying to ask you to help me figure out what's wrong with me. Uh, but, but, but the question I've been trying to evaluate just in my own life is, uh, if, if I found my, my doppelganger, right? Uh, you're walking down the street, have you ever found a doppelganger that looks like you? Um, not me, but, you know, you, you get the concept. If you found a person that looks just like you, and let's suppose that that person uh, is not a believer, and you looked and you evaluated each other's lives, would my life look much different from his? And, and, and so the key to this answer, I believe, is found in the degree of my relationship with Jesus. Okay, so, so we, we spent some time in this last week that uh, Jesus comes and, and He does a lot of things and He is a lot of things, but there are two primary roles that I never hope we disconnect our hearts from uh, when it comes to what He is doing in our lives. And, uh, and we said that, that when we walk in the Word, we find these two primary roles is that Jesus comes to be our Savior, that He saves us because He loves us, and then secondly, He comes to be our Lord, that He leads us uh, because He loves us. And so, so we've kind of said, okay, if that is, since that is the way that Jesus has been described in the Bible, there are ultimately really just like three places that we fall with Him. That, that the first place, if you'll remember, is that we don't accept Jesus as Savior and we don't accept Jesus as Lord. And we said this is the state of the unbeliever, that that they don't see their need to submit their life to Jesus because they don't see Him for who He is. And then secondly, they don't understand the devastating effects of their own sinfulness. Okay, And again, if this is you, we don't, we don't think of you as an enemy. We love you. We long to help you uh, through your path. And so, because we, even those who, of us who are saved, uh, we still struggle... <laughs> 
with sin. We still struggle with temptation. And so, uh, but then the second place that we said that people kind of fall with Jesus is, is they've accepted Jesus as Savior, but he's, he doesn't really have any room in their life to be Lord. Uh, that, that this is the hard one because I think this is where a lot of um, people fall in today's modern church. That, that we ask Jesus to save us and we're willing to do religious stuff from time to time as long as cowboys aren't kicking off at noon. Um, which Ryan put me on a clock. Apparently he has an air horn um, that if I'm over his limit, he's out. And he's going to tell, he says, the committed follow him. Um, and so, but we... we we ask Jesus to be our save, to save us. We're willing to do some religious stuff from time to time, but, but there are ultimately some limits in how far we will go in adventuring with Him and, and how much of our lives we're willing to give before we believe that God is being unreasonable. Like, there's no way you're asking me to do that for you. There's no way you're asking me to go there, to do this. And, 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 and we want to be in God's story, but we also want to continue to write our own continuing adventures. And, and so we spend our time saying, Jesus has saved me, but I'm writing a much smaller story. And it's why we have such a hard time um, when we look around and we see stuff that people have that we want, that we say, oh, it must be nice. Because our lives aren't attached to the story of God, it's attached to the story of us and when it's attached to the story of us, our eyes are always and constantly on other things and other people. And so, so this agreement with Jesus has little room for some of the seeming hard things that He has to say about uh, losing our lives to gain life or, or carrying our crosses. Or, or last week, as He says, you cannot be My disciple if you are unwilling to renounce all to follow Me. And... And our reluctance in following Him as Lord reveals that we have a grip on other things in, in our lives. And so, so because the call of the Gospel is, is not that Jesus saves us so that we can run free until we need Him to save us again, we have to deal with that. We have to work through that. And now I heard a pastor put it this way. and He says, says the truth is, there are millions of men and women in, in our country who call themselves Christians uh, because they believe the Christian life is about admiring Christ's example, not realizing that it's a call to follow it. And, and so, which takes us to the third and the proper response, is that not only um, do you accept Jesus as Savior, but you also accept Him as Lord, that, that, that this is the right, this is the proper place where we worship properly and we live rightly for the glory of God. This is where our lives become significant because we get to celebrate that our great treasure is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our own abilities, our own circumstances, that, that our great treasure is found in Jesus. And this is where our lives carry great importance because in a variety of seasons we are growing a faith that others get to see and are drawn to the well that we find our lives from. And, and so this is the relationship that Jesus calls us to. He says, I'm, I'm unwilling to play any other role. I'm unwilling to walk in any other capacity where He is both Savior and He is both Lord. And anything short of this is a false security. 
And it leads us to some dangers and it leads us to some deadly places. And this is where we must be if we are willing to live lives that are worthy of the price of King Jesus. And, and so, so the struggle I think a lot of us have, uh, even in this room, is that we have a desire to live in place three, but it's hard, so we're willing to settle for a life in place two. You with? Like, that's hard. And, and I'm willing to do hard things, but when it gets too hard, I want to bail. And so I'm willing to settle, and I'm willing to convince myself that what Jesus really meant is that He wants to be my Savior, and I'm on for that because that's the free gift of God. But yet, that Lord thing, He's really not telling me too much to do. I've, I've misheard Him in some of these other demands and maybe if I just put my fingers in my ears and I shout loud enough, I can't hear him speak to me as loudly. And so, so something we, we said last week is, is that if you find yourself in place one and you find yourself in place two, those are, those are great realizations. Because we can never get anywhere in life without first knowing where we are at currently. And so, so, so this is why we want to be aware when Jesus comes in with very clear words about what it looks like to follow Him. And, and like last week, he, he gave us some reconciliations for our hearts, uh, for being His disciple and following in His footsteps. And, and in Luke 14, He says, ultimately in the midst of this conversation, he says, he says, you need to count the cost. You need to consider the cost of your life when it comes to following Me because nobody would start building that tower or building a house without realizing, uh, first realizing, can I finish the task? Will I have enough money at the end of this to be able to f- uh, fulfill the project? Or, or no king would go to war without first finding out, okay, I have 10,000 guys, they have 20,000 guys, can I get a two-for-one out of this? No? All right, I'm sending someone to, uh, to, to seek peace. And so he says you count the cost. And the proposition is and has always been that when it comes to following Jesus, we get all of Jesus as we are willing to give Him all of our lives. That, that Paul would say in Romans that, that our lives would be poured out as a, as, a, as a living sacrifice. And so the demand, by the way, is, is still um, makes us winners uh, who gets the better end of the agreement. Because, because what Jesus brings to the table far surpasses anything that we will ever bring to the table. What we want to walk through this morning is how those affections are fueled. How do we love the fact that Jesus is our Savior? How do we love the fact that Jesus is our Lord? How, how do we develop a hunger for God and have a growing desire where joy and satisfaction is most alive? When we come most alive when we are walking closest to him. That's that's ultimately what we're going to try to do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we we lay our hearts at the throne room of the heavens this morning. And we don't ask for, for easy things here. We're praying that you would walk us through how our desire and how our delight fuels everything in our lives as we try and strive to live for the glory of Your name. So Father, we pray through the power of Your Holy Spirit this morning 
that He would open the eyes of our hearts, that He would loosen the grips of our securities, and that we would get to see You do some incredible things. We love You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. So, so in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find these encouragements, uh, and we find really these commands uh, to rejoice or to delight in the Lord. Uh, in fact, Psalm 37, verse 4 says specifically these words, delight yourself in the Lord. And I always love that, right? When you're like, well, okay, I'll do that. But how, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And as Paul writes, he says, I don't think you got that. He says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so, so in the Old Testament, there's this, to be converted from worldliness to godliness was to discover truth. In fact, one of the most specific truths is found in Psalm 16, verse 11. And it says this. Emma, I think we got that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence... There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is just, the psalmist is just reflecting on God's great care for them. And he says, listen, you've shown me the path of life. Your presence, when I am with you, there is joy. There's not just, not just a little joy, there is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures Forevermore. So, so we find that, that our relationship with delight to be an important part of life with God. That we're, where we find delight matters a great deal because there are such things in our world as, as counterfeit delights. Things that seem to bring delight but really are bringing bondage. And, and so... So, so when I consider what God has done for me to rescue me in Jesus, when I consider how Jesus leads me and loves me, when I consider how the Holy Spirit dwells in me so that I have a taste of what is yet to come, while at the same time I get a taste of what's available to me now, pondering and celebrating these things lead us to delight. And if it doesn't, if you think about the way God treats you, and it doesn't lead you to delight, then my contention is you do not have a proper view of the path of life that God leads us towards. You don't. Delight fuels desire, and desire fuels delight. So let's, let's try to define what we mean by that in, in this sense. And so, so let's talk about delight first. Delight, in your talk notes, delight is what we experience when the things we enjoy is present, not just future. When it's present, not just future. I, I can take delight in, in good things that my kids do from time to time. Uh, and some, some days, delight is in very little things, like, like did Cana finally get her nasty clothes off of her bedroom floor? Did she do that? Yes, I tell her all the time, I love you more when your room is clean. That's the way it works. Alright? That's hard truths at the Geary household. 
Um, so I can delight in that. Other days, I take delight in, in much larger things. When I see them living out service or, or when I see them uh, walking in consideration for other people and it costs them sacrificially. And, and so, so that delight, however, is typically a singular event that's being experienced in real time. Right? You ever been there? You ever been so proud of your kid? You think you're going to burst? Been so proud in your spouse? You're like, I, I don't think I can contain this. I want to shout it from the rooftops, my joy that I have found in this moment. And so, so, so when it comes to my relationship with God, my delight grows when I allow my heart to consider the mercies that are extended to me. When, when, when I allow my heart to consider that those mercies that God gives me, that they are new every single morning. It's in part why, why we can gather and we can sing to God an anthem that, that, that stirs my affections by just singing. Like I, don't know, I don't know sometimes how we can so passively lift out the name of Jesus in song and be like, what's going on with our hearts? Like we got to join, you realize this, we joined together with the saints just a moment ago and we got to declare that there is no other name than the name that is Jesus. And when our hearts fully realize that, when our hearts just partially realize that, we can't contain it because our joy and our delight should grow into an anthem. And that's how revivals break out. That's how communities are transformed. That's how, that's how families are, are changed forever. Not because we showed up on a Sunday, but because God showed up. And we were just willing to celebrate Him. I think, I think slowing down to revel in the knowledge that God knows me and He still loves me and He secures me in Christ and He promises to keep me as His own. This is it's deeper than any puppy love we can ever experience. This is, this is delight that you feel in your bones. And you feel that delight in such a way it moves the steps of your life. So that's, that's delight. Now let's talk about desire. Desire is, when we experience, is, the, is what we experience when the things we enjoy aren't present, but we hope is coming to us in the future. We hope that it's coming to us in the future. This is where faith moves us since, since desire is part of pleasure and desire is awakened by taste of pleasure. That my desires are looking forward to something I long to experience. So like just passively, we, you know, if, if you have a date night planned, you have a desire for something that is to be experienced in it stirs you it excites you that, that that something great is within my grasp to be taken hold of and and when it comes to god our desire to experience more of him to understand more of him should lead us toward deeper adventures where where we see more of his goodness and we see more of his power and we see more of his care for us and it, it's what the psalmist has in mind when he says in Psalm 63, verse 1, Oh God, You are my God. You are my God. And earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry land, in a dry and a weary land where there's no water. 
My soul longs to be with you in such a way. Or Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. And, and there's this, we used to sing this song way back in the day, and it was always bad. Uh, but, but this psalm is so beautiful. Because it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 42 is a rough, it's a rough psalm, but it's beautiful in this sense. That the pattern that we see in many of the heroes of the faith that we find in the Bible is a desire to know God deeper more than a desire for your next breath. Which should be explored in our own hearts. That, that do I desire being known by God more than I desire my very own life? So in the New Testament, the conversion from worldliness to godliness is, is a, meant discovering Jesus as a treasure of surpassing worth and that joy would enable a new disciple to be willing to leave everything and follow Him. Do you realize that, that when Jesus tells His disciples to follow Me, that isn't said to a very select few. That's the offer of the, of the Gospel. We act like, well, those guys are super spiritual and they're willing to do that. They're, they must be really crazy when that's the call of the Gospel. And so, so this, this may sound radical, but, but it's, it's only because we are in the way and not seeing this clearly that Jesus helps us see this in the, midst of, in the middle of some parables that we find in Matthew 13. And I'd, I'd encourage you to spend some time this week just walking through uh, Matthew 13. But, but what, like we said last week, He's helping us understand the cost of following Him. And today He's going to talk to us about how desire fuels our footsteps. And so He comes in, Matthew 13, verse 44. And He says this, He's describing the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the area that He governs that He is the Lord of. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and, and sells all that he has and buys that field. Sells all that he has and buys. So, so you have this guy who seems to stumble upon a treasure, uh, which takes you back to like the playground and the rules of finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Right? right. This was in their society. If you, if you had a treasure, you were welcome to hide it anywhere. But if it was found, whoever found it gets to keep it. And so, so here we, this guy comes in. He discovers the worth of the treasure. And then watch, watch his footsteps. And if you like to underline a circle in your Bible, here's some great phrases. In his joy. In his joy. Joy. So, so when this man sells all that he has to buy this field, he doesn't do it reluctantly. Nobody's dragging him to the field. No one. In fact, in his joy, in his delight, he's going, it's going to have a great effect on the rest of his desires. He doesn't have to be coerced or prodded or guilted or baited. He has found the treasure that surpasses all other treasures. He's found it. And that's the beauty of the freedom of the gospel. And I don't know why guys like me try to guilt people in 
to following Jesus. Because here's the truth. You are wicked. You are sinful. But Jesus is loving. And God is merciful. So I don't have to guilt you into that. I just got to let you know where the treasure's found. Then secondly, it says, He goes and He sells all. He sells how much? All. All. Everything He has for this treasure. Everything He once held as security and hoped would bring Him satisfaction, He's now sold in order to buy a field that holds the treasure. Because to have the treasure is to have life itself. To have the treasure, to have life itself. And Jesus, He's not being difficult to understand. Right? In one verse, He he lays out the roadmap, helping us understand the value involved in following Him. The worth of His kingdom is so much greater than the accumulation of the things of this world. And if we're having a hard time believing that, then again, my contention is that we are looking at an old treasure chest and we're not opening it to see the treasure inside. We're not. You realize that, that in this illustration, religion is just a treasure chest. And in itself, it's not very attractive. And it doesn't look very fulfilling. But once you open and you see the treasure that rests inside, you're willing to give it all. You're willing to pour your life out. And so... We think we can do life without the box when within inside is life-changing and joy-giving. So he gives us a second parable. Verse 45, he says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went, sold what? All that he had and bought it. And so, so the difference between these two men is that one seems to find a treasure while the other goes searching for a treasure. It's what it is, and I think I believe that I believe that can cover an assortment of people in this room. Some of us have found the gospel by being whisked off our feet by God, almost as if you're standing and someone comes behind you and just gives you a bear hug you never knew was coming, but you love it when it's there. And so he says that's some of us are like that. We stumble across the field, we find a treasure, and we say that's life itself. I'm in. But then there's others, this is kind of my boat, that, that you, you go searching for the treasure. You, you heard Jesus' invitation to follow. You start taking footsteps behind His, and this leads you to finding great treasure that you were looking for. And just like the treasure parable, there, there's a cost involved, and this should not be overlooked, because the man in the field sees the treasure, and in his joy sells all. The merchant in search of fine pearls finds one and sells all. All. And this is the same Jesus telling both parables. That, that the price to obtain the treasure is everything. And that this should not be, this should be, I'm sorry, should be counted in the cost. And, and when viewed in proper perspective, it's not paid reluctantly. It's not. And so in these moments of your life when, when you say, well, I... I want to give Jesus this part of my life, but I don't know. Then you, you haven't found a treasure. You found an idea of a treasure. You might have perhaps found an idol, 
but you haven't found a treasure. Because Jesus in this parable tells us none of this happens reluctantly. It happens joyfully. And again, I think our struggle often is that, that the stuff of the world can be pretty great and we can even convince ourselves that it's good enough since the fear of letting it go and having nothing greater than letting it go and taking hold of the very thing that we want most in life, that, that we fear letting go of false securities. And it, it's being... There's, there's been a thousand illustrations like this, but it's, it's like saying, you know, I'll settle the rest of my life eating bologna sandwiches when I know every day I could have a T-bone steak. Like that's the way, that's the way a lot of people are living. It's the way a lot of us are living. Like I'm willing to settle because I don't know if, if I can actually get to that T-bone. So the price to obtain these treasures is everything. And the tragedy of the lives of many people who live in box two, where Jesus has been invited to be Savior, but isn't allowed to be Lord, is that they never truly see Jesus as a treasure. They see Him as a means to an end. So they never trust Him. And if they're honest, they're simply trying to use Him toward idolatry. And so, so the issue that needs to be dealt with with people that live in box two, it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't lead to salvation, but it ends in heartbreak. It's, it's where... Jesus comes in and he's, he's using these words as to the Pharisees, but in Matthew chapter 7, he says, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, work in kids' nurseries in your name? Did we, did we not do these things? And Jesus will say, I declare, I don't know you. I don't know you because I was never Lord. Never your Lord. You were. So there's a question we need to address. And it's simply this. How can my delight in God fuel a continual desire for God in ways where the things of this world pale in comparison to what are available to me in Jesus? That's a long question to be asking. We're going to try to handle it in a short manner. This is where I want us to go in Philippians chapter 3. And, and this resolution of the Apostle Paul, uh, this passage, really, it deserves a crawl. Uh, and, and one day we'll give it that treatment, just not in this moment, because uh, Ryan's been tapping his watch this whole time, and he's a big guy. I don't, it's just, yeah, all right, so here we go. Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, finally, my brothers, all right? Finally, my brothers, and what does he say next? Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord! To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. So, so rejoice! Right out of the gate, we can understand what comes next is after the decision to delight yourself in God. Right? We, we can find little motivation to pursue things that we don't really take that much joy in. Right? No one today says, I can't wait to get home and take out the trash. Right? It, it's, why, it's why eating an ice cream cone is better than eating a broccoli cone. Because one is ice cream and the other is broccoli. Alright? So, so we, we have a hard time pursuing things we don't really take that much joy in. And so Paul reminds us, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs. 
Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, which sounds like a really strange brag, but you've got to follow along. Who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so so here's here's an important key for fueling desire and fueling delight. It says, look at verse three. He says, we worship by the Spirit of God and we celebrate Jesus. So that's what our lives are about. That a proper view of worship elevates our hearts and our eyes in seeing where our hope can truly rest. That's what it does. And so, which is why Paul says, as I look at God and I see that there is no need, there's no need to put hope or confidence in my flesh, in my own ability to fulfill my own desires for joy and peace and contentment and whatever. That, 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 that those are found in what God has made available to me in Jesus and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. That praise, that delight, and those desires belong to God and God alone. And then he's going to address the confidence that he could have if he wanted to. And again, it's going to, this is going to sound like a weird braggy montage. Um, but, but Paul is a guy who has counted the cost and he's going to tell us where he takes the confidence of the flesh, or that, that confidence in his ability to suit his own desires. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I got more. I do. He says, all right, you want to bring it? Let's, let's do it. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. Mic drop, right? of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. Like that's all, that's just smack talk for the church folk. That's all it is. And what he says is, he goes, he goes in every religious and civil status, I promise you, I'm at the top of the list. I am. I'm qualified in the eyes of society to be a person who has much confidence. I have authority. I have credibility that many long for. I'm respected because of my titles and I'm considered a great hero, a defender of Judaism. Says there's no doubt, and there's no doubt. When we read uh, the book of Acts, when we read Paul's epistles, that that he would be someone we can look to. Maybe not in his early days, um, but we can look to as a model for the adventures of the God size, because he runs a gauntlet of them. And we can even impossibly try to make him a religious celebrity. But but pay attention to verse seven, because Paul is going to teach us something about how our hearts can put no confidence in the flesh while at the same time living very fully and very significant. He says this, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Okay? I've suffered the loss of them, of all things. And then he says, and I count them as rubbish. 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I may have life. So so Paul says that the gains of this world can't compare to the delights he finds in Jesus because it's it's all it is all a loss because he is surpassing he has the surpassing work of knowing Christ Jesus. Not just not just worth in the sense that Paul thinks Jesus is important. He says the worth of Christ surpasses his own understanding. Have you ever been in so much love with a person that you can't describe how much love there is for that person? And he says, this is where I'm at. He goes, this doesn't make sense that I would give it all away. It doesn't make sense that I'd be willing to suffer to the degree that I'm suffering. It doesn't make sense. But yet, I have joy and I have delight and I desire more of it. That this surpassing worth is so immense that, that even in the face of suffering, he considers the pain and the loss of all things rubbish in order to, 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 to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to be found righteous, not because he can follow the law, but because Jesus saves him and leads him. And then verse 10, I love, I love verse 10, uh, because it takes delight and it catapults it into desire. He says that I may know him. And that would be enough. I would have nothing else in my life, but I know Him, and that would be enough. That I would know the power of His resurrection. That I may share in His suffering. That I may become like Him in His death and become like Him in His resurrection. That I may take hold of Christ is my greatest treasure in my life. And so here's, here's what I hope we can realize this morning is that delight in Jesus and that desire to know more of Jesus is not reserved for these guys only. That that should not be the exception to the norms. That 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 us knowing that, that it's gifted, this invitation is gifted to the children of God. And Paul's declaration is is not to be the exception but to the rule, but for super Christians, but this should be the heart cry of every person who lives in this box three where Jesus is both Savior and He is both Lord. And so places we have to go. And I'm just going to give you these three questions. Simply this if I am following Jesus, do I follow him joyfully or reluctantly? You can just ask yourself that question. Just whatever comes up first is a pretty good indicator of where you're at. Do I follow Jesus joyfully or reluctantly? Because the parable says, in their joy, they gave it all. Second question, does my delight in following lead to a greater desire to follow? Does my delight in following lead to a greater desire to follow? Then thirdly, is, is Jesus my great treasure or I'm willing to sell all to grab hold of Him? 
is that, now here's the thing. If you could find an easier way in the Bible, let me know. Let me know, because we can all get on that road. But the standard of our lives is not in our own intentions, and it's not in our own emotions. It's when we walk through words of Jesus's when He talks about the cost of following Him, and we say, that's hard. And He says, yes, it is. But let's go. And you will never follow Jesus anywhere that is, that is uncomfortable without first delighting in Jesus. Without first desiring more of Jesus. And I think a big challenge that we face in our world is, is that we get trapped in some religious movements that rob us of delight, rob us of joy. And that's not the gospel. So my prayer for you, and, and we're going to wrap up. We're not going to wrap it up this way. Because um, we all know Ryan's going crazy. Um, but he's not really. Um, he, he told me to say that, though. Um, so, so here's where... I want us wrestling with some of these things. Because some of our walks with Jesus is too casual. And again... I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I want you to know that so that you can walk in delight. And you can desire more than more of Him. And I ask we ask hard questions around here because we don't want to waste our time and our opportunities. So a great place to start if you say, I don't have a desire or I don't delight in God right now. It's saying, God, help me unearth what that's about. Help me, help me know what's going. And then you spend some time in prayer, you spend some time in community, and you spend some time in the Word. Because all three of those places, God speaks to us. As we wrap up today, I want to make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to have a team of people over here. We want to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we're, we're not trying to sell them to you cheaply today. Okay? It's all. It takes everything. But you will never find a treasure greater. Never. And so maybe that's you today, and we want to walk with you. We want to battle alongside you. We want to protect you. And we want to, we want to be your companion. And then maybe you have some other things going along, and you just... You need someone to pray with you. We, we long to do that. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. And I pray you would help us address how casually we can try to walk with you. And I pray you would help us walk through our reluctancies. And then, Father, I pray You would just open our eyes to see Your great worth. That we would see Jesus so clearly. And that in our joy, we'd be willing to give it all. Even our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.